Um, sorry, I feel like I have just steamrolled part of this, so I want to... No, no, I no, just, that's good. Like, <laughs> no, it's good. I, well, it's good. It leads us into... We can talk about favorite lines. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to lead mine's us. A, mine's, a, I guess, a little bit sarcastic or poking fun at it, but uh, what is it? Uh, Cicero, uh, what does he say? Uh, sometimes I do... Sometimes I do what I want to do. Other times I do what I must. And that supposedly just... Uh, that comforts Maximus, I yeah, guess, yeah, for yeah. some weird reason. Yeah, he yeah. says... Uh, uh, do you always feel you need to do your duty? And he just responds with, sometimes I do what I have to do, other times I do what I must. And he's like, oh, thank you for your wisdom, Cicero. <laughs> now I know what I must do. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like Tommy Flanagan was kind of hard done by in this movie. There's not an, there's not enough Tommy Flanagan in this I was going to say, man, like, I don't think I know anybody in my life as dedicated to somebody as, as Cicero is to Maximus. Like, he's just like... Dude, it's you! Oh shit, man! I, he is like as loyal as anybody. That's that's impressive. We all need a Cicero in our lives. We really do. My actual favorite though is the Proximo going on. A, we are all but ashes and dust. Ah, ashes yeah. and dust. Ashes and dust. Yeah. We actually just passed because we we have the film on. One of my favorite moments is where he's talking to him about Marcus Aurelius giving him his freedom. And you knew Marcus Aurelius. I didn't say I knew him. I said he touched me on the shoulder. <laughs> I, I love that. And his speech about win the crowd, win yeah. your freedom. Like Proximo in that scene, he is so dedicated to this life that he was living. Obviously, he was born a slave. He was a gladiator as well. He won his freedom. And now this is all he knows. And he, he knows what he's doing is wrong. He is a great sort of slightly underdeveloped and and underwhelming not because of Oliver Reed's performance because it was a great fucking final performance. BAFTA's nominated him. BAFTA did nominate him. Um, but there's there's a there's a conflict in him which I love so very very much. Like I said, he knows he's doing wrong, but this is all he knows and he's he's trying to give these men sort of the best life that they can expect to have and he's he's pining for his glory days. And which is such a shame that, that Oliver Reed died midway through production because the, the original ending of the film was rewritten. It was supposed to be Commodus forcing uh, Maximus to fight Proximo. And of course, Proximo winning because they were still going to do the thing where they were going to stab Maximus in the side so he had a disadvantage. And then uh, it was going to be Proximo instead of Juba that buries uh, the two totems of his wife and son in the sand of the Colosseum. Which I think is a is a slightly more poignant ending. I mean, I agree, but you know, circumstance being what it was, Oliver Reed to give a brief little bit of history on him. He made his name in the Hammer films, and he was Carol Reed's nephew. They went, of course, on to make uh, the Oliver musical together, film the musical that won Best Picture. Uh, but he uh, he is in a group of great British actors who were probably known more for their drinking than they are for some of their performances. <laughs> Guys like Richard Burton. Richard Harris, who was also in this film, one of his final performances, um, uh, the guy being Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole and Oliver Reed were actually, they were very good friends, uh, as well as Richard Harris as well. Um, Oliver Reed died while they were making the film in Malta. The film was shot pretty much almost in sequence, so they were quite close to the end of production. Uh, they only had, like I said, that final fight, burying the figures. They had the uh, gladi the, the the escape where they're trying to get Maximus out the back. They had all that still to shoot, and which led to one of the most expensive digital effects at the time, which was doing a very early form of digital face replacement. 
it actually this so this bumped the film's budget up from 100 million to 103 million uh i find it i find it really a great thing that ridley did is they were they were insured it would have cost them another 25 million to reshoot the film with with another actor playing proximo but he was ridley was dedicated to to oliver reed and said no we'll find another way to do this uh so he died in malta um drinking at a bar and he was trying to one-up some british sailors who were in port for the week uh challenging them to drinking contests arm wrestling contests apparently he dropped dead there in the bar um david franzoni actually came out and said i kept the bar tab and david hemmings who was kind of oliver reed's he was a good friend of his as well and kind of his guardian on set making sure that he only drank on the weekends that was his kind of deal with ridley that was his deal with the insurance guys look you know i won't drink on the weekdays but after 5 p.m is my time the weekends are my time which is fair but i mean he 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 i think he went out the way he wanted to you know he he died as he lived i think we can say and uh i think the world is a sadder place for it but if you're going to go out on any one performance, this is a fucking hell of a performance to go out on. He fucking, I think he swings for the fucking fences on this one. I, agree. I don't know if you guys. I don't yeah, know, I agree completely. Oh, I, I actually yeah. had no idea, just real quick, Adam, I had no idea at all that the uh, the ending we see in the final release was actually an alternate ending, so to speak. Oh, you yeah, know, they had to get they had to get William Nicholson on a plane that day. No, you've got to yeah. be here to rewrite this thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah he, he flew back. He basically landed and. Yeah. flew back That's anyway crazy. david david hemming said that he it was a tremendously emotional day and all he could say to ridley was i'm sorry old boy i did my best yeah two things uh r- really quick um just this idea of of being flexible and and like that people that like it takes a it takes a village to do this and just the 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 way that they were able to adapt and and cre- still create a feasible and workable ending not 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 even like a like, a, oh, this might work. But, like, a real, like, it still works. The ending is still there. You know, his fight with Commodus is still pretty satisfying to, to see that at the end. Even though I think they had a better ending planned, his death still works in the movie. Where the soldiers come up behind him, he's holding the wooden sword that Marcus Aurelius gave him. And they, you know, stab him in the back. They stab him to death. I think so. I think that gives gives more weight to his decision to back Maxim, uh to, to back really all of them, yeah. all of the uh, all of the slavers, all the gladiators, and unleash them and, and choose that rather than you know living. Really, he, it, the way it plays out, it, it implies that he knew what his fate was going to be. He went up to his chamber and he was just waiting for them, and uh, took a noble death, so to speak, doing what he thought was the right thing. Because well, originally he's reluctant to mm-hmm. let Maximus right. go and to to be a part of this coup because you know maximus makes him money right. makes him rich why mm-hmm. would he do this and he's back he's back at the coliseum yeah where he's longed to be for yeah, exactly this years. is all he's wanted you know marcus mm-hmm. the real marcus aurelius never banned the games we oh, can God. get the way yeah. the way oliver reed touches the statue is like the, the coliseum and it's just like yeah. he's the, the reverence yes. he gives the space Great. that mm-hmm. was exactly the word i was going to use after pretending like i never said i knew him you know <laughs> yeah you know? but he still is like, but the fact that that Maximus then turns to him and to get him to be on his side, he says, mm-hmm. Commodus killed the man that set you free. Yeah. I mean, would that not... That seems to have been the turning point. Yeah, would that not have, have you know, revitalized you and want mm-hmm. you to be a part of this? For me, I, it, fu- it fucking works, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. I agree. No, and that's... And that's I, I can imagine how frustrating it was as an actor to hear, like, you know, Ridley Scott, sword and sandal, big budget cool and then you get the script and it's like what the fuck is this how are we gonna how is this gonna get made well it was also the first time that oliver reed had read in and they i think they made him read twice for it which was he illiterate no (laughs) 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 
See, that's why you're here. He learned to read. Uh, (laughs) You know, he learned to read for this part. Wow. (laughs) After being in film since the early 60s. (laughs) No, they they made him audition, which is something he hadn't done in decades. He's one of those where you just... You call him up to exactly, to and I have part. a I have a great quote. So he worked with uh, there were a couple of film film directors that he worked with quite a bit. One of them was Ken Russell. I talked about him a little bit with our when I recommended Women in Love. But he also worked with a guy named Michael Winner quite a few times who directed the original uh, Death Wish. Uh, he said, "Oliver, don't fuck with me. You're not a fucking star. You're out of work, and you're not me. You can't be as drunk as people think you are. So go to Ridley and read." End of story, Oliver. And if he wants you to read twice, you fucking read twice. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> I, 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 I'll say that, like, in my limited experience, just, just like, and mostly do it's doing theater. Like, it's so flattering just to like not have to audition to be to be asked to read for a part. Like, you know, we like to, you know, we we're, we're considering for this part. We, we don't want you to come read for it. Like, I don't have to like do a cold audition. You, you want me to read for a part, please and thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Ian just pointed out, um, Maximus's helmet, which is another one of the big, we can, I have a whole list of historical inaccuracies. If you, I, if you no, want no, to just kind no, of touch on it, I don't know that I, I want to, I did, I, the, the, so the movie is full of historical inaccuracies and, and anachronistic set pieces and costumes and things. And we mentioned this a little bit in, um, uh, when we talked about the elephant man, about the fact that. John Merrick's life wasn't as bad as it made it seem and characters were completely rewritten to make it more theatrical, to make it more of a compelling story. Do either of you give a shit that this is not historically accurate? Absolutely not. No, not. I mean, it, I, I think if you, I don't think, let me back up a little bit. <laughs> I think if you're going into this for a history lesson, um, th- I mean, then you're an idiot. <laughs> yes i guess yes uh, it's a movie no you can be it's blunt, a drama man. just do it uh no i it doesn't it doesn't bother me one bit i think it's i i do get i do get a little fussed if they go like if they go crazy town while trying to make it seem kind of somewhat you know grounded in reality yeah something like this um i think you know even you know 12 year old me watching this movie for the first time or whatever that was uh uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I guess is what I'm trying there, to say. There's enough of a of a of an accurate historical flavor to it. The real Commodus did really fight in the arena, even mm-hmm. though they were staged fights. He was killed by not a gladiator, but he was killed by a wrestler mm-hmm. named Narcissus, who was sort of the inspiration and the original name in the script for Maximus was Narcissus. Yeah. I mean, there's enough of the flavor. To, to get you there, it's the same. I don't, if you were to say, oh, I love Inglorious Bastards, but I hate Gladiator for its historical inaccuracies, then you're, you're kind of at odds with yourself there. I think this is, without them coming out and saying, oh, we're doing his, uh, a historical rewrite, which is clearly what Tarantino was doing, that's, that's also kind of what they were doing, but not being as sort of obvious and on the nose about it. Well, I just, I think it's, I, I know a more recent example that I know, I, a lot of people have seen it and it's sort of, you know, highly praises is, is the social network and people thinking like, oh, this is this is how Facebook was founded. This, you know, like this is true. It's like, no, this is based off of a novel. Mm. You know, this is not it's it's not fact. And even if even if it was like based on nonfiction. Right. Cool. But it's still a, it's you know, it's a film. It's I know I a weird example I have is like uh, it's in the the hurricane the um, Denzel movie. Oh, the hurricane Ruben. is so full of shit. 
Yeah, I, the, David or Dan Hedaya's character doesn't exist. That was not a character, and he's kind of a linchpin at the the beginning of the film. Yeah, it's but it, yeah for for cinematic purposes, it's a it's a reason to do it. Like, how does this movie exist if we actually show the real death of Marcus Aurelius? It doesn't exist. It doesn't propel that story into this. Well, it's less interesting. Yeah. Yes, he did die in 180 AD, but he died in Vienna of the plague. Yeah. That, that, that's what I mean. Like, obviously, his son did not kill him, thus prompting his reign well, as the new emperor. A couple episodes back when MJ was on um, the, at the Elephant Man with me, yeah. he said it very well. He said, how beholden is a film to real history? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sort of, I'm starting to soften to that much more than I was when I was a younger, more virile man. <laughs> is that ever a word you would have used to describe yourself? No, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we we can pretend. Um, something like Braveheart, I got very passionate about how full of shit that film sure, is. But exactly, you know, like, what does it matter if you want a history lesson? Read a book. Yeah, it's, yeah, and I'll say I I still agree with you, but I'll say even like Social Network is is an example where I would maybe be a little more upset, although I still, I'm not, that it's not historically accurate. <laughs> sure. But that's that's a story about, you know, living people in a very recent event, whatever, uh, and about a real thing that happened. This is just, uh, this being Gladiator, is just a human story about revenge um, and, you know, being on top and then down to the bottom and then have to work your way back to the top again. That's set in this time, you know. And, like, I'm not that upset about the inaccuracies of Marcus Aurelius, because if if they don't include those inaccuracies, then the film doesn't really work. It doesn't have the same power. I, I I'll take the dramatic weight over the historical accuracy for something like this, um, even much more so even than something like the Social Network, which it still doesn't really bother me that that's you know. I think it's also to do with the way that you present it. Yes. And, and the agreed. stylization. There's something that I think is very egregiously wrong and should be taken to task, and that's U five seven one, the 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 submarine film where that does present itself as a piece of, of historical, mm. uh, something with historical weight. Whereas I think this this does enough as far as stylization. And we know that, you know, as a, even as a, as, a, as a layman, somebody who doesn't have a, a grasp on history, I think you can connect enough of the dots to know that, oh, an emperor wasn't really killed in a gladiatorial sort of situation. Whereas U571 goes, no, 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 no. We as Americans, we we single-handedly won the war by you know solving this code and finding this uh, finding whatever decoder it was. And fuck that movie. That movie's so is that not stupid. how history happened? No. Oh no. Okay. No, we we Brits we solved that code. It's it's a Brit versus American thing, which also brings me. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the Patriot earlier. We read some. <laughs> you mentioned the. I, I, Damn I'm not, him! I'm not. Damn gonna, that man! I, yeah, I'm not going to go on a huge historical <laughs> rant, but I'm really glad you mentioned the Patriot earlier because Mel Gibson turned this film down, and how great of a decision was that? Feeling that he was too old, and he went and turned around and he made the masterpiece. That was the Patriot instead. Oh man, it's fuck that movie. It's so good. It's so. Good. It's so Are you good. The Patriot. The Patriot. The only good thing in that is Jason Isaacs. Who Damn him! <laughs> Damn that man! The only good thing in the Patriot is Jason Isaacs and Tom who is, Wilkinson, who is a genuine <laughs> cocksucker. And Tom Wilkinson. I don't even remember Tom. Tom Wilkinson is just. Is, does he have more than one scene? Yeah, he does. I He's just like the main dude. I just remember him at the end. Eh, yeah, but fuck whatever. Josh, have yeah. you seen The Patriot? Yeah. Oh, not. I mean, I don't. I've kind of blocked it from my memory <laughs> yeah, fuck, a little fuck, bit. Fuck I don't. That movie. There was nothing. 
There is yes, nothing technically redeemable. I've seen it, but uh, by all intents and purposes, I don't ask me about it. I don't. There's want to there's it. nothing redeemable. Yeah. And it's a movie about Tom Wilkinson's yeah. character. Yeah. yeah, according to Adam, <laughs> Tom the, Wilkinson is the only actor in that movie. The the last thing I'll touch on about the historic accuracies though is like the only time that it really bugs me particularly is like maybe like a movie like Argo, which I actually do really like Argo, but I, there's there's certain things that they really like left out of that of that movie and they do paint that as a historical movie yeah and in, in that case it does kind of chaff me a little bit yeah, it's, a, it's a little frustrating i think but. the the hope and i i'm sure a majority of people don't do this but i know especially if it's a movie that that makes it very apparent that this is based on a real story yeah. you know they they make, you know, make it very apparent if, the, if it is is like part of the fun for me is to go Okay, so where like where is this different? Like to go do my own, and I I I can't say I spend hours doing this, but mm. like you know a quick search, like oh that was pretty close, this was off, yeah. yada yada yada. But I I know most people don't. Like most people will watch Argo and go, I just watched a documentary, yeah. right, on, yeah. on what a, happened. It's important to separate the truth from the fiction there, yeah. and to know that you are just watching a piece of entertainment. And, and if it prompts you to do, I, I think it's, it's a success. If it prompts you to turn around and do the research of your own and find out what the truth actually was. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one of my, again, we don't have to keep going down this historical rabbit hole, but one of my favorite things about picking and choosing what is real and what is not is the fact that originally in the script, they had something that did actually happen in this time, which was gladiators doing pl- product placement in the arena and they thought oh audiences won't believe that they'll think that's too anachronistic that you know this would this would never happen but it actually did they would 100% advertise products that were you know that had come out at the time i i think that's great and i think that should have been left in i i really think they should have gone for that as long as it wasn't like Pizza Hut or something. Yeah, but yes. No, there was, they, they were advertising yeah. Roman Pizza Hut what, in wait, 180 wait, 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 AD. Wait, 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 wait. Wouldn't it have been Little Caesars? Ah. ah. Shut the fuck up. Ah. Woo! Damn him! Still got it. <laughs> get out of here. You you get right on out of here. I, I will soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, I. this is, you know, we're so far into this podcast now. This is a lot like Goodfellas, like last week. Like, I just... I really only have good things to say about. Well, this you, movie. do you want to find some negative things to say? Let's, I have one. Let's do it. I have one. What uh, the CGI birds in this movie are awful. <laughs> well, the CGI <laughs> they're, they're really bad. I did praise the Coliseum, but it, it's more of like for its time. Like yeah. when you watch it with you know with 2020 glasses on it. I there's like the first time we see it like a I, I want to say like crows fly by and they just look like black dots going like mm. like oh. No. Well, the whole idea is to I, I understand that sentiment, but the whole idea is to, is to give the scale of the Colosseum, mm-hmm. oh, and, and that I great you. that great uh, line that Juba has where he says, "I didn't know that men could build such things," mm-hmm. and just to have little black dots sailing by, I think that's yeah, you could do it better now, obviously because technology it's <laughs> we're twenty years past, so you can do so many better things, but. It, for me, it still works. It's not enough to oh, no, no. deride I, the film. That was me. almost that's more of me like. I, That's I'm you digging. Yeah, you're digging yeah. For, for, for things to be like, I don't, you know, and, and I think because of like when this is set and how, how high the stakes are, there's like, I can't even say that like, like yeah, Oliver Reed's going for it in scenes and Joaquin Phoenix is going for it in scenes, but it's like, but Jesus Christ, like he's the emperor now 
who like is in love with his sister and the guy he thought was dead, who was supposed to basically have his job is just came back from the dead. Like the stakes are high. So you, you, you buy the reactions, you buy what's going on. So it's like, I'm not even going to nitpick. Like if I feel like they're doing too much because this, this is like literal life and death. Well, an entire empire. Yeah. The, 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 the large, one of the largest empires in the world that has ever been is at stake. Mm hmm. Josh, do you have something negative you want to throw on the I fire? Have, yeah, the well, it's it's kind of a plot hole that's always kind of bugging me, but I, I've never understood. First of all, when Maximus is about to be executed, in uh, they're in Germania still, and he's on his knees, he somehow does a headbutt backwards and hits the guy's face, even though he's at you know on his knees, yeah. he's at crotch level basically. That's fine. I don't understand how it never got back that. All his, all of the, they were all Praetorian. Where, they were where all were those the, six guys. They were essentially the king's guard. They were the emperors, you know. Like, and where, where did they go? Oh, they just, they died of the plague on the way home. And uh, well, we this is we don't know what happened to Max. <laughs> this is great. This brings us to the extended cut. Now, mm-hmm. Adam had texted me a couple of days ago and asked me which cut he should watch. Now, mm-hmm. Ridley's preferred version is is this one that we have on right now, the mm-hmm. theatrical. But mm-hmm. there is an extended cut which goes for I think just a couple minutes shy. Of three, uh, hours. of three hours yeah. and there are a couple of really great things I mean I, I prefer this cut as well myself I, I love the the briskness of, the briskness of it I don't mm-hmm. feel a minute of it's two and a half hour runtime. Uh, in the in the extended cut there is a scene where they do actually address that because he once he he sees that Maximus is still alive he asks how this could be and it turns out that some of the Praetorian guards they lied to him mm-hmm. about Maximus having having died and then there's a whole sequence where he executes two of them and it's a it's a test of trust he actually stands behind them while the because he wants to test the loyalty of the guards around because he doesn't trust really anybody right he feels like they don't have and he mentions it a few times in the film Commodus feels like he doesn't have any respect and not in a Rodney Dangerfield kind of way oh, Jesus um, so he actually stands behind the two guys that are getting executed while the archers do that that is really there's there's two or three things I miss that is the one that in the theatrical I really miss the most Another thing that I really love is right towards the end, before he has that fight with Maximus, he goes down into this little hall in the palace, which is filled with statues and busts, and he comes to one of his father, and we get one last sort of, I can't, I can't stand the separation between us and how much my dad, I perceived my father hating me, and so he takes a knife, and he's just chipping away at one of the, and he is just fucking, it is honestly... I'm really bummed that it's not in the theatrical because Joaquin really goes for it and he is just chipping the ever-loving fuck out of this statue with his knife. Now, you you mentioned something that I, I wanted to bring up because I, I think this Gladiator falls into a special special section of movies for me. So I, I, I made sure to track this. It's about 40 minutes before we get to the part where he's seen his wife and, and son dead and he's been taken by um, by Proximo. It's in about an hour before we ever see Rome. And I, I, say, I say those two things to say that this might be the longest and easiest rewatchable movie that I know. Like this movie is two and a half hours. It is, mm. it is a chunk of time to set aside to watch this movie. And yet I get to the end, I'm like, wait, what? It's over? Like, I don't know how um, like, that's possible. Like, mm-hmm. like a movie that, like, uh, uh, 
that I, I know that we both like, but is very long is, is Stalker. And you feel Stalker go by. But, Not but in a bad way. But you're supposed but to. You feel, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this, it's like two and a half hours goes by, and it's like, seriously? Wow. No, okay. you, you could get away with another half hour. And, and I do recommend people watch the extended as well, so you can pick and choose which version you prefer. There is a lot that is a value in that mm. extended cut. It's just, it's, segment, it's segmented so well that you could literally come in at any moment and know, oh, that's the next thing that's going to happen. And I think it's almost like, I, and I don't know who gets credit for this in the end, but like, like obviously there's an opening battle. There's two gladiatorial fights before they go to Rome. And then there's a, there's the big, there's the group one at Rome. There's the one where he fights <laughs> Sven Olthorsen and the lions in one or the, the tires. And then there's with comments. So like, we know that there are going to be these, these moments throughout. And then, the acting is so good in between that it's like, well, shit, all right, I could just, just watch this moment too, and that, that'll be fine. And mm -hmm. I, it's just, there's always something to look forward to in the movie. It's another one of those films that I say, if you catch it on cable, you catch it 20, 30 minutes in, I defy you to turn it off. Yeah. I, I don't think you can. It passes what the watch test. For me, it's just like I'm watching a, a movie that's really slow. I, I hate, I, I'm not trying to unnecessarily jab at it, but like Interstellar, I was checking my watch. You won't hear any grievances from us. No. Four or five times yeah, in, in that movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, this one, though, it's, it's two and a half hours long. Ian knows that uh, I'm, because in our close friends, I'm notorious for, I, it's hard for me to sit through some movies. So I'll, I'll parcel them out. Like I'll watch like a, you know, an hour of it here and then I'll go make dinner and then come back and finish it. Sure. But uh, for this one, it's just like you can't. There's no. There's no good place to turn it off, and it's not a negative, of course. It, yeah. I'm just lavishing praise on it. <laughs> yeah. It just kind of just flows so beautifully. Um, even though it's kind of a slow brooding tale, there's a lot of action stuff in it, but it's really just like a, it's a drama. It's a story about revenge and, but it's still, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it, you never, you don't really feel the time that much at all. And I, I do, I only have one negative thing to say as well. And it's actually, it's funny. It's this sequence that's on right now as, as we have it on the background. I don't think that Lucilla and Maxima should kiss. I know we need the romantic angle, but it kind of it's kind of a slap in the face to the memory of his dead wife and son. I think I know there is some sexual tension between them. They hint at the fact that they could have been lovers back in the day. They obviously had some attraction to each other when they were much younger. But I I think the decision to have them kiss is a very Hollywood decision, and it doesn't mm -hmm. for me it doesn't it doesn't work. I have one more nitpick. Oh, you know, go for it. And I I I knew it had to. It's not this scene, but there's the moment where. They're trying to free Maximus to, to get out um, because that's the whole plan. Like the, the other gladiators are going to sort of cover for him while he can escape. The, the score there is really good. The score goes very classic, yeah. epic there. But Lucilla's the one that comes to basically release him. And what I don't have the lines, but she's like, okay, we got to get you out of here. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they stop and have an extended conversation that lasts way too long, given the fact that she comes in in a huff saying, Let's get let's get going. Oh no, sorry. It's yeah, that's the scene where they kiss. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah that, that's and that's just out. like it's like <laughs> yeah. okay, you you came in here all huffy, like we got to get the shit going. Don't don't if he says something be like fuck you. Come on. We got to go. That's that's the bit that I would have trimmed so that I could have Commodus stabbing the shit out of his dad's face. I'm fine right. with that. Yeah. And uh, it you you I agree with you completely because it does kind of betray the the memory of his wife which throughout the whole movie that's is kept motivation. is kept alive that's yeah. his motivation you know she was she was alive before he was you know wrongly arrested of course and uh, that that whole thing is kept alive throughout and even after that scene at the very end uh 
I can't remember who says it. I wish I remember, but someone says, uh, I think actually it was her says go to them. And then that's when he kind of, yeah, she, away she almost peace. gives him. She almost yeah. gives him permission to die. To, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, to die. Like you've, you've done, you've done your, done what you came here to do, um, so to speak. And I do feel like I like, I kind of like the sexual tension between them. You can, you kind of get the feeling that she broke his heart or something. You know, absolutely. In, in the past, and you, I kind of like that they have that. They, they have that, that tension between them. But, but I do kind of wish that it never came to fruition. Exactly. I just, you I, don't need anything more than the tension. Exactly. Especially because the the thing with his wife and son is alive until the very last scene, really. He's when he, so, you know, meets them in the afterlife, so right. to speak, you know, whatever. And I'm, I'm going to make a case for my favorite line right now, where Juba asks him, what do you say? What do you say? Well, he sees he's finally got the totems back from, <laughs> oh yeah, from, uh, <laughs> from his, from, sir, from yeah. Tommy Flanagan. And he asks him what, and he tells him, you know, I talked to my son about, you know, making sure that he keeps his heels together when he's riding and, and, uh, you know, the advice that he gives to his son. And then he asks, well, what about your wife? Well, that is not your business. (laughs) I, I know it's cheesy, but it's, it's a, it's one of those lines that is so full of subtext about a man who cares so deeply for his wife. This is private. This is, I, I, I don't know. It just, it works for me on every level. I love it so much. I think it it does a good job to you to, to. Uh, There's a bit of levity when we need it to bolster uh, their relationship too. Yeah, I can't remember the, the guy's name, but uh, he's on the screen right now. Uh, Juba, Juba, Juba's yeah. right. And he's like, he's you know, I told him what I was going to say to his kids and my wife. That's none of your business. And they have a cheeky little smile, yeah, like yeah. a little laugh. And I don't know, it just it works. And and, and you're right, it is pretty cheesy, but it's would probably would be more cheesy if he said, "I love you." And yeah, you know, exactly. You know, yeah, it's it's definitely the right thing to do. Yeah. So um, there's I. There's there's too much to talk about, and I know we still want to do our our, our Russell Crowe Mount Rushmore. So, uh, I, the last thing I just want to pose is is what is your favorite gladiatorial fight? Is it the first one where they're they're chained up to a partner and they've got to get through? Is it Russell Crowe's solo fight where it ends with him cutting the dude's head off? Is it the first fight in Rome where they have the the chariots, the, the Battle of Carthage? Yep. Is and, it, uh, is correct it, me if I'm wrong, but aren't the barbarians supposed to lose? I believe that's historically accurate. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, is it the fourth one where uh, Russell Crowe fights the guy coming out of retirement, or is it the last one with Commodus? What is what is your what are your favorite of those? I I can't choose, man. Like my gut, my gut instinct is to say the fight against Commodus because I love the fact that it comes down to towards the end of the fight, it literally just comes down to hand to hand combat, where Russell just even though he's dying just. Still, he can't give up, and he is just wailing on him with his fucking fists. And you, let me tell you, in in this 4K version anyway, you feel every single punch. Like, it's the sound design is fucking perfect. But, I don't know, man, the Battle of Carthage, they, they all have so much value. The Battle of Carthage is just fucking cool, and is a little nod to, to Ben-Hur, and then the fight where they're all chained together, that's a great little nod to Spartacus. Um... And then I mean the fight with with uh, Sven and the uh, or, or Tigris and the uh, and the and the lion and the, the the tigers is just again it's another one of those just it's so fucking iconic that the imagery in that and Russell rolling away from from the tigers I don't I don't know man I genuinely so, can't pick you it's so funny because you left out the one that is mine. Oh really? It's, his solo fight his is solo my fight. favorite. Oh, yeah. is it really? Yeah. See, I would rank that last. Oh my god, I fucking them. love it. I think technically it's the most. Uh, having done some stage combat, I love it because it's like everybody, everybody has a different weapon, and the way that he handles them, and just the 
just the the baller move of the two swords in and then chopping the head off. In that in that GQ interview, he mentioned like he t- went to Ridley and was like, I really want to cut off this guy's head at the end. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me when I was in Lear, when I was in I was in a production of King Lear, it was my thesis role. And um we had this Edmund fights Edgar at the end of this play, and our fight director was really cool about working with us. And he was like, okay, so what do you think happens next? Okay, what happens next? And then we worked through this fight and I go, hey, there's something I've always kind of wanted to do on stage. Can we do it? And he's like, what's that? I go, I want, I want to, there's a moment where I pick him up off the ground. I was wondering if instead he could do the thing where I go to pick him up and he launches me over him and it looks like he's using his feet to push me. He's like, can you do that? I go, yeah, I can do that. And I showed it to him. He's like, perfect, it's in the fight. It's like, yeah. That's so I, I, there's some there's some like <laughs> affinity that I have for Russell Crowe being like, hey, I really want to cut this dude's head off. Can we do it? And then that <laughs> when he, he quotes where this guy like, how many heads do we have left? Yeah. All right, cool. Well, as he's talking <laughs> about, you know, he takes the cigar out of his mouth. and <laughs> His Ridley seemed pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, he does a he does a well after five films, you think he would That's do a true. pretty good Ridley. Yeah, uh, Josh, your favorite. Of I got to go with the uh, Battle of Carthage. I, it's very satisfying because that's that's the the gladiator. That's Maximus kind of reaching his potential as a gladiator, um, but also still being the general. That's that's right, and he already he already gained a lot of respect leading up to that. But that was him taking charge, and um, they weren't supposed to win that fight. That's that's a heavy point in the movie. But uh, that's that's to me is the most satisfying. But it is hard to pick one though. I mean, all of those are yeah, fantastic. I, I have a split decision. It's between the the fight with Tigris and the final fight because the the, the catharsis in that final fight against sure. Thomas I mean, is, dramatically, uh, yes. of course. I mean, there's yeah. there's the most emotional weight. But as far as on the one fight. which the stakes feel so high, I mean, the stakes feel high in all of them, obviously. But this fight that is actually on right now with the Tigers is just so fucking good. Before we talk Russell Crowe, I have one final thing that I want to talk about. If we're if we're ready to sort of move towards the end and do our big Russell Crowe thing, we're at an hour forty. That, that sounds just about so. right. Sounds about right. <laughs> just so I, we know. I figured we'd hit two. I want to do a little sequel talk. Oh yes, there there is a sequel in the works right now, which I don't think is a good idea. It's being written by a guy named Peter Craig. Uh, he did write The Town, which is a really great movie. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a sequel writer at the moment. He wrote uh, Top Gun Maverick, which. I, I'm sorry, I cannot fucking wait for that movie. And then he also wrote the new Bad, Bad Boys for Life, which I actually heard some pretty good things about. I've I'm, heard that's, I'm, that's I'm pretty, I'm heard. pretty excited. Honestly, I'm pretty excited to see it. Uh, but Russell Crowe commissioned one of probably one of the most infamous unmade scripts of all time when he commissioned Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds to write a sequel to Gladiator. And I have a few details from it because the whole script is available online. You can you can track it down, you can read it if you want. It's it's called Christ Killer, which is just a wow. fucking insane title. Yes. So the film opens with the end of Gladiator. Maximus is dead. He believes that now is that he's he's gone to Elysium. He's going to be reunited with his wife and child in the afterlife. That's not what happens. Is it a zombie flick? Kind of. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> kind of. Oh no! <laughs> um, so he gets to the afterlife, and it's he's thrust into hell, and he's thrown on the these the shores of this this black beach, kind of like Iwo Jima ish. You know, the sea is completely black, almost kind of like what uh, what dreams may come. It's kind of got that vibe to it. Okay. Um, and he is asked by the gods, who are all in kind of a state of of death, because they have been betrayed by one of their number, Hephaestus. Who's actually a Greek god, not a Roman one? Doesn't matter. 
he, they charge him with killing this god who has betrayed them, and they said, then and only then will you be reunited with your wife and family. Well, he goes to kill him, and instead of being reunited with his wife and child, he is thrust 20 years into the future, so into 200 AD, back in Rome, where for some reason his son is still alive, and now Lucius has kind of taken on the Commodus role and has turned into an evil dickwad. Hmm. You know, technical term. And he, he meets his son and, and with his adult son, again, who was alive for some reason, and he's reunited with Juba as well. They decide to lead a revolt of early Christians who were being persecuted by Lucius against him. And then the film takes on a weird time travel nature because, and it's sort of like a parable of because Maximus decided to lead a violent revolt instead of choosing diplomacy in a nonviolent one, he has cursed himself and humanity to always be a violent race. So he has thrust through time into the world wars, into the civil war, uh, into Vietnam, and then eventually becoming a general in, at the Pentagon is, is kind of the end of the film. Ooh. Yeah, it's Russell Crowe's response was great. He said to, I said, and I quote to Nick Cave, I don't like it, mate. And of course it was never made. And Nick Cave, he knew, supposedly he knew this film was never going to be made, so he just swung for the fucking fences. And anybody who's seen that terrible Wolverine movie will know that that's kind that's, of... Oh my God, I'm so glad you that's said kind it. Of like, that's what I was They thinking. kind of took up that mantle of thrusting Wolverine through the ages that's and showing funny. you in every in all these different conflicts. But there you go. That's, that's a little bit of information about the unmade Christ killer. As Woof. I said, the script is out there. Mm. Yeah, you find it if you got a couple hours to burn yeah. on that hard, fucking... hard pass yeah <laughs> i i kind of respect its ambition to a degree but really glad that that isn't made and i'm really hoping that ridley decides not to make a gladiator sequel this is a film if ever a film didn't need a sequel this is definitely towards the top of that list yeah for sure it just feels unnecessary mm-hmm. yeah I do, however, really want him to make his Battle of Britain film because that would be fucking spectacular. And he's teased that for about 10 years now. So here we come, Russell Crowe. Yeah, so we did this a few weeks ago with Jack Nicholson. We decided to go, well, what what would be on, on Jack Nicholson's Mount Rushmore? And yeah, I feel like I watched a bunch of, of Russell Crowe this week. Now, are there any... What I would, what I want to ask first, maybe is just like, are there any movies that you that you watched that you either know like this is not making it, or that were like really close to making your Rushmore that won't? I have, I have two runner-ups. Okay, my two runner-ups are uh, in. So let's just say Mount Rushmore had six heads. So six and five in this order, going from six to five, would be American Gangster would be number six, Cinderella Man would be number five. Yeah, Cinderella Man is a t- is my five too. Yeah, and that's... it sucks because that movie is so good. Yeah, that was gonna be my recommend, but I I figured we'd talk about it at some point. And part of the reason why I wanted Josh to come on this discussion as well because you are such a Russell Crowe fan, and right. I know that we we bonded pretty early in our friendship over Cinderella Man. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that's that's right, and that is actually I should ask, I should clarify before is this based on performances or our affection for the movie. Uh, I think for me, it's a little bit of both. I think it's going to be, I think each person's Mount Rushmore will be their, their own. Cause like I, I want to will Cinderella man on, but I feel like, you know, if we were going to look at the most iconic for whatever reason, because he was the best in it or because Mm -hmm. it was what made him famous or whatever, like 
it's I think it's to each their own. Well, I, so right now I'll spoil it. If if we're basing it solely on performances, I think a beautiful mind would be on my Mount Rushmore, but it's it's not. So I have a different one that I that I had someone have a flip hop flip hop with as a runner up. As a runner, oh my runner up, I guess would be. I'll just say my runner up is a beautiful, not a beautiful mind. I'm sorry, uh, Cinderella Man as yeah. well. Now I love this movie, and this was for Peter. My life, I would have said this was my favorite movie. Not that I thought it was the best movie. Fucking great, but Fa- favorite movie of all time. Of that specific time in my okay, life, okay, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, it kind of fluctuates. Well, a that's, that's but but I just mean like it was just a movie that I watched a lot when I was, you know, talking about a movie that mid to late cry. teens. Oh yeah, Fuck. like um, like ten minutes in, you were just a ball of fucking tears. Also, one that to its discredit, you really feel the length on, but it but it has yeah. payoff, so that's why you yeah. you know you forgive it. But I uh, that I I will say is my five and uh, one that's in my top four uh, or my Mount Rushmore. Is not that I like that movie more; it's just that I appreciate the performance more on it. When we get there, but so so I I just have one I so I I can't believe I did. I I rewatched Les Mis because of the article I sent you. No, 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 because I I hadn't seen it since theaters, and so here's the thing: that movie is just not good. Um, I liked it in the theaters. I I know that I did. Well, and and, talk about a movie you feel every fucking minute of well the the problem with it is that you can tell um the uh i'm gonna the names are gonna escape me but i that i think it's eponine the woman who sings um on my own later in the movie like you could tell she did broadway a lot of the side characters you could tell actually like sing sing for real life so like i i hugh jackman is bad in the movie He's he's not that's, good. That's part, again part of the reason that I sent you that article is because they highlight um, what Hugh Jackman does in that, where he's doing that speaking singing. Yeah, and I don't think I noticed it as much the first time, but it's it's pretty obvious he's not singing it. Yeah, he's, I don't know why they let him get away with it. Um, well, do you think this is maybe I'm stepping on your on what you're going to say here, but maybe that's why they hired Russell Crowe to make Hugh Jackman look really good. No, <laughs> it, the problem is that Hugh Jackman has a Broadway background. Yeah. So for whatever reason, he decided to make this more about the the words mm-hmm. and not not singing them. Um, I still think Russell Crowe does not great in that movie. I think when he when he sticks at a lower register, it it works. And, well, yeah, because he's and, got a very deep baritone and, and, voice. And it, maybe that's just part of like the the production of of Les Mis that I had to listen to when I you know was listening listening to musicals in, in like undergrad. I, that's the, the the Chabert that I that I knew. Um, that's not what I heard, and it was it was pretty. Well, stark part of the other contrast. thing in the article that struck me as really interesting is that Les Mis was an '80s musical, right? Yes. So it has a very heavy synth '80s feel yeah. to it, and yep. of course they strip that out of the film completely, and they make it sound like a much more classical type of musical, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think may be a mistake. I'm just glad that at least they kept the chorus in because that's pretty pivotal to the movie yeah. anyways though that's not it that's not making my, my rush more yeah um i do really like russell crowe in that film for the record i think he does a, a fantastic job as javert especially his last scene his suicide scene i really did touch me why did they have to make his death so like they show him land on the ground for like a split second it's like jesus it's so rough for yeah, some it's, reason it's, it is unnecessarily jesus christ I, I don't i have a I, I didn't like that movie but That's i fine. but i also just i don't like film adaptions of musicals personally i don't they, like i don't like the whole we're singing to each other as they, instead of talking they and, mostly don't work. and russell i mean i, I don't I, he, I think he did a fine job acting but the the singing you can tell was a bit 
forced. He doesn't have the range that some of the others do. But that, yeah. Anyways. Okay. So here, I'm, let's play. I'm gonna play a guessing game. I'm gonna see. Uh, do we all have LA Confidential on our Mount Rushmore? I certainly do. I don't. You don't? Really? Yeah. Oh, I do. Now, I showed you LA Confidential. I love it. And we, again, another movie that we really bonded over. This was this number was, six. Oh, really? Okay, well, that's, I mean, it's still top 10. That's fine. Mostly, and for me, I'll be honest, like, I, I think performance-wise, it's, it's fine. But, like, this is, it makes it because this is the breakthrough. This is the, like, fuck me, and it here was, is Russell Crowe. There's nostalgia for me because it was my first exposure to Russell Crowe. And he fucking, in a cast, which is literally fucking monumental, he mm-hmm. dominates. Yeah. I mean, he's up against some of the best in the world at the time. Even, even Guy Pearce, who was another kind of unknown in the u.s i mean he trounces fucking everybody at every turn that is one of the most heartfelt performances of of recent of at least the 90s that movie's so fucking good and it's yeah it is just great from fucking end to end i'm a sucker for a, a noir anyway but yeah but and it's like it's a noir but also like it's like what the artist wanted to be but yeah. so much better. Like, like it's paying homage, and yet also it's it's its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I like Gladiator revitalizing yeah. Sword and Sandal epics. You could argue that LA Confidential revitalized sort of modern noir, or yeah. sort of created the movement of modern noir. The moment where, because he's on such a crusade against domestic violence, against men who, who hit their women, and then when he hits Kim Basinger and realizes what he's done, and it's literally the fucking hairs on my arm are standing up when I think about that mm-hmm. moment. It fucking levels me every time, yeah. every single time. And the great scene with him and Guy Pierce where they they finally decide to team up. Yeah. Is that like, how you did the good cop, bad cop? Yeah. <laughs> or or even before that, where he's like, why, why do you want to do this? The night owl mailed you. And they talk about, you know, the, his reasons you why. I, I, I've got a wrecking ball. You want to help me swing it? Oh, so fucking good. <laughs> Stay nice. away from him when his blood's up. So so let's get. I want to hear one from you. What do you? What's 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 making your Matt Rushmore? Okay, so this might be a controversial one for for you two, do but it. Uh, we it's love. Okay, we, if you both be wrong. Uh, <laughs> we love controversy. So the first. Uh, also, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> three ten to Yuma. Okay, I really like that movie. I rewatched it yeah. this this week. Yeah. Uh, so much better than I remember it. Being. Oh yeah. Um. It's. I don't know. I I wish he did more. And he's certainly he's very cool in it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. very like. Like level-headed, like I, I I got the whole thing down. I guess I don't know. I I feel like that's more of a a Christian Bale vehicle in a way. Mm. Nothing, and it's not taken away from his performance at all. Right? Yeah. I, I, I fucking Luke or, uh, Luke Wilson's in that movie for like four minutes. Yeah. What what is happening? No, I liked it. I well, I thought it was that, very. And enjoyable. that film was a great showcase for Ben Foster as well. Like that was the first movie where I was aware of him. He, he's poor, Charlie, right? Charlie, yeah. yeah. Poor Ben Foster just played the same character in everything. He's always just villainous. He's always kind of a dick. No, have you seen Leave No Trace? No. That movie will change him for you. I no, I, I, I have heard good things about it's that. It's fucking But amazing. you know, there's that. There's Hell or High Water, who he is in Six Feet Under, uh, Hostage. Like, he's always yeah, just yeah. kind of a, a dick. Yeah. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. No, he's he's great. I don't think that's too controversial. I mean, yeah. that's... I've. He's good in it. Yeah, he's yeah, good yeah. in it. And it's a solid western. I mean, it's a James Mangold film. He yep. he's an he's a director who is really 
starting to to go up in my estimation. I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of Ford versus Ferrari, I like but I, I can see it as a film that grows on me. Yeah. I also fucking love Identity. I will not I, hide yes. my affection for Identity. I <laughs> yes. fucking love that, that movie. That movie is, is genuinely great. Have you seen that one, Josh? That's a so. big ensemble cast. It's a, it's a, I don't like want to spoil thriller. it. The okay. twist yeah. is okay. genuinely Okay, so Identity good. and Matchstick Men. Right. Yeah. Eh, identity. Okay. <laughs> and Matchstick Men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so I so I guess... So so give me one of yours. What do you got? So we, we talked about LA Confidential. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Gladiator is in my is on my Mount Rushmore. Is that making yours? Yeah, it's making mine too. Okay, yeah. I want to. There's one. There's one. Do we need to talk one. about that movie or? Uh, no, I think we're okay. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Thank you, thank yeah. you for checking though. I'm yeah, glad that make sure. you're very, very courteous. I don't want to make the listeners know. You know, yeah. know how we feel. He might be one of our most courteous guests that we ever. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. That's great. <laughs> yeah. uh, so obviously, Gladiator. But and I, there's one that I want to save because I know it's making yours. Okay. And I know that Josh only just watched it for the first time this week, so we'll save that one. But Master and Commander makes my Mount Rushmore. Uh, same handily that's, uh, that's my third does not make mine really i, I, I rewatched so I, it i feel like yeah, you need to defend why it's not on yours versus us and telling you why it's on ours the, for the same reason that 310 to yuma doesn't make it i don't i don't there's this is the actor i mean i want more peaks and valleys mm. his character kind of just floats in this nice like in this in this kind of like his his through line of emotion is pretty much here i disagree with you but carry on <laughs> like i just i i see him like there's where he's where, the moment that i think the the best acting of him in the movie is when he's trying to help paul bettany with the surgery and like there's a lot of care and affection that he's like like trying to help but like not looking away and i don't it's think also he, one of the only times we see weakness in that character well sure i just i i guess i just i there's there's not enough of a performance in there that I like that I LA confidential makes my list mostly because of its iconic nature. All the other ones for me make it because I think genuinely the, the performance is really good. And I just think the other two that I have, I think he knocks it out of the park more. Uh, yeah. And that's fair. My, my counter argument to you saying that there's not enough emotional range in his character in master and commander is that he is the captain. And so he has to have, a measure of control the entire film. He can't he can't show weakness. He can't show emotion. He's mm-hmm. gotta lead these men into in in the times that they lived in almost certain death. That's why I really love the that they uh not to cut you off, that the they inserted the scenes with him in in the doctor with Paul yes. Bettany. Yeah. Uh, obviously I mean, it's an obvious ploy, you know, to show some emotional Yeah, because that, yeah, that's but, the only other time he gets to be yeah. emotional is when they He's disagree with, with each other. Yeah. yeah. But and learning to play the violin for it, which he really did. Paul Bettany really learned to play the cello. I, I think I think watching the making of might sway you differently because you really see Russell Crowe come into his own as as not just a not just an actor, but a, as a, a leader on set because that's essentially what he had to be. You know, he would organize you know rugby games with the guys. He would make sure that there was separation between officers and the guys on the lower decks, and really. Mm-hmm he was really coming into his own as a method actor on that film. No. And I, I it's, I'm kind of glad that 310 to Yuma got mentioned too, because those are master and commander and 310 to Yuma were both movies where I'm like, if I were to look at them on my shelf, I'd be like, yeah, that was okay. And then having rewatched them, I'm like, no, they're, they're much better than okay. These are, these are good movies. Your point is just Russell's performance. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And what, what it wouldn't necessarily brings to the table for me, I was the opposite for you with master and commander going into it. I was almost, Certain it was going to be um, Cinderella Man, Gladiator, maybe Three Ten to Yuma, and probably L.A. Confidential. Um, but 
uh, but afterwards, I did like Master Commander the first time I saw it. But uh, on the rewatch this time, I actually, for whatever reason, had a lot more appreciation for it. it like I, I used to think it kind of slogged along. In this case, I thought it was um, uh, really fun, and I actually I liked Russell's performance, even though yeah, I understand it's not it doesn't have the peaks and valleys that you would you know maybe expect for. Well, what, him, I, but... what I was really happy about is when I showed it to you, you had the, almost a, a very similar reaction to what I had at the end of it. I was like, no way. This can't be the fucking end. Yeah. There's no way. I was like, the, I need another hour of this. Like, yeah. minimum. Minimum. Because there's like 20 fucking books. Yeah. Yes. And they, they smash together like the first and the 12th or something like that to make this movie. And, oh man, it's just so, to pardon the pun, it's so masterfully made. I think it is, I genuinely, I... I really struggle between my favorite Peter Weir film. It comes down to that and witness. And I, it's such a toss up for me. Mm. I mean, it really is Peter, Peter Weir at his height. As I said, it's Russell Crowe coming into himself, not only as an actor, but a leader of, of, of men, a leader on the sets. It's mm. just, it works for me on every single level. And it's so beautiful. That score is great. His camaraderie with Paul Bettany. Obviously they had a bit of an advantage because they worked together on a beautiful mind a couple of years before, but as I said about Gladiator, ever a film that didn't need a sequel, opposite of that, ever a film that fucking did, I would mm. take five or six more Master and Commanders. Yeah. And if, you, if you've seen Russell Crowe lately, they could even just, they can plug in John Goodman. They look pretty similar nowadays. Oh, <laughs> and it could be just, you know, 40 years later. I, and... I'm so glad you brought that. His art of the divorce thing that he did yeah. a couple of years ago, like him getting divorced from that, that woman that he was with for so many years. I, I see a man who is now... Yes, he's let himself go, but he also seems, especially in that GQ interview, seemed pretty jolly. He somebody said he so, looks like Santa Claus. <laughs> he looks so fucking content and happy, and I'm yeah. I'm really I'm really happy for him because he didn't he had a rough go of it for a while, and he mm. didn't make it very easy for himself. I mean, he pretty much sabotaged Cinderella Man at the box office and the reputation of that film there for a little while because the incident with the bellboy happened right as that film yeah. was coming out. And that movie's incredible. And it and is, uh, Paul, Paul Giamatti, like, yeah. fuck me yeah. running. The story, the story about the, the production company telling him, hey, we're going to push you for best actor yeah. for The Insider. Oh, what, what does Al think? No, Al, Al said, go with the kid. Push the yeah. kid, yeah. And then when, when, when he does that for Giamatti. Yeah, Paul Giamatti's mom well, also, was dying yeah. and, and said, hey, I'm gonna, I'll make sure he gets it. Yeah. You know, it's push the kid. It's the moment awesome. that kills me, there's so many moments that kill me, but the moment where the kid steals the salami because he doesn't want to be sent away. I can already see that. Yeah. Dude, just I, thinking I about it. Know. But when, uh, when he's finally getting back into the ring, he's having his sort of resurgence and his wife, Renee Zellweger, who is actually really good in this. Yeah. When she goes to Giamatti and like, how can you do this? I mean, you get to live here in your cushy, your cushy apartment on the Upper East Side or wherever it is they are. And when she, when he opens the door That's and cool. he's literally mm-hmm. sold everything that, oh, yeah. Fucking slays me. Yeah. Got a couple of films that were unfortunate circumstance, I think. It wasn't Cinderella, didn't Cinderella Man come out right around the time of Million Dollar Baby? A year after. It, yeah, 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 a few months and after. It was kind of people were kind of bored of box movies. And Master Commander came out around the same time as Pirates of the Caribbean. Exactly, right? yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. They're only a few months apart. Yeah, it was pretty close. Because I think you had Pirates in the summer mm-hmm. and then Master Commander was supposed to be a big awards push. It was out like late October, early November. Yeah. You had the same thing with Cinderella Man. Million Dollar Baby out at the end of 2004 and then they just kind of dumped Cinderella Man in it's like, like May. March. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember. It was like March of 05. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I feel like I my one so beautiful mind is making my is it really my Mount Rushmore yeah I, again I feel like you have to defend that I think it's 
Because for me, it would make it on a performance level. Now, as the years have gone on, I've softened to that film. It's kind of like a pendulum has swung the way of Cinderella Man and away from A Beautiful Mind. See, I, for me, it's it's the, the actor in me watches that movie and go, I've never seen him do anything even close to that again. It's fucking incredible. I think it the is incredible. performance in that is um, amazing. And that, and it's just, for me, it's that, that emotional range I was talking about. It's like, it's fucking, it's huge. You don't get that in Master and Commander. No, I don't, yeah. I don't feel that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think what his relationships to, to everybody, fictional or not, is just, I, I, I love what he's doing in it. And coming off of these very self-assured confident characters to play this neurotic guy going through a lot mentally. I just, I fucking, I just think it's incredible. I think it's great. Well, I will say, even though I have softened to beautiful mind over the years, I do think it was the wrong choice to give Denzel best I actor. Too. I I think, I think Russell Crowe should have joined that upper echelon with Tom Hanks having two back to back. But I have a whole thing about Denzel should have been nominated for supporting and won. He won. Yeah, no, he's he. Ethan Hawke is the lead in that film. Yeah. End of that's, story. Yeah, that's another thing. Okay, so we all have one left. So what do you have? What's left for me? Yeah, Insider. Fuck yes. Is that, is that all of us? Yeah, that's okay, all of us. Great, great. I, I only Ian I alluded to it, but I only just saw this. I thought I had seen it. I was thinking of State of Play. Okay, which is a so-so. That's fine. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's the, one of those. the British miniseries yeah. is yeah. some of the best six hours of TV you will ever fucking see. Oh really? But uh, but I just saw Insider for the first time. I, I I'm not I don't actually really I didn't really love the process of watching the movie. Like I had, I had a lot to enjoy about it, but it was um, emotionally it's a lot tough. of saxophones. I think. Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's, lot, Mike, that's Michael, Michael Mann. Mann. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but the performances were out of this world. I think the only thing that you could say against Insider is it was you could argue it was more of a of a Big Owl and uh, and what's What's Mike Wallace? With, uh, oh, Jake Plummer? Uh, uh, Chris, oh, Chris, Chris, Chris Plummer. Chris Plummer. Yeah. They they really commanded a lot of your eyeballs, you know, during that course of the movie. But um, I, I still think you have to put in as the top four, especially if you're talking performances. Yeah. So I, what what he did physically, gaining the forty pounds. What did he say in the GQ interview that they had to bleach his hair about seven times yeah. to get it to stick? Yeah. Well, no, but even then, it was a win. Even work. Yeah. 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 Um, it feels like a precursor to like he was a it was like a practice run for to play Steve Na- not Steve Nash uh, John Nash John Nash yeah. yeah yeah I it's so I saw this movie like when I was like thirteen and it shouldn't have worked mm. on me yeah, I, I was not that the target sh- demographic no for this that movie. film should go over a thirteen year old's head and I remember um, I remember the scene where the 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 bullet is in the mailbox oh man. And I just remember going, this shit is real. Like mm-hmm. this, like I, I started getting like really concerned for the family. Like I, you know, I realized that the story's come and gone and that they're, yeah. they're, I mean, everybody's alive, but like, I remember feeling that moment. I still kind of do feel that moment. And well, the wife, it's also, it's, it's also pretty close to the scene with the wife seeing the, yeah. We'll no, kill email. you email. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. That movie is, but there's a moment in the insider that I love so much because it's so different than any other moment in any other Michael Mann film save maybe The Keep which I haven't seen and and he Michael Mann is disowned and it's fucking impossible to find that film now I don't think it ever got past VHS uh, maybe DVD in some other countries um, but the moment where he's in the hotel room and they can't get him on the phone and there's that great 
camera move around him and we have a a, a scene that's that's fantasy where you know the wall dissolves and he sees his children at play yeah like there's no moment in any other Michael Mann film like that because his films are so grounded in reality and they're so visceral and mm-hmm. real and intense and just I mean in some cases just fucking relentless oh my god he's like uh, that's he talks about the floor that the lights are on that's a legal department where they fuck with my life yeah. Jesus Christ that <laughs> moment is fucking awesome and how good is Bruce McGill his lawyer in that where he's oh, like oh yeah no, wipe that smirk off your face yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he oh, just goes that. for it yeah. Yeah. this is not a trial I will have my deposition. Every that cast, that cast is as good, if not better, than *L.A. Confidential*, which oh, I never thought I'd ever hear myself say. Oh man! But you've got Bruce McGill, Christopher Plummer, fucking swinging for the fences on that. Was he nominated? No. Are you are you fucking you shitting me? I'm not. Try Mr. Wallace. Oh <laughs> yeah. God! That's a, how dare you yeah. assume to think that you can edit me? Yeah. I, obviously, Pacino. I mean, it's a. It's a late in life. Philip Baker Hall. Philip Baker Hall. That shot where you have all three of them in the frame, where they're at the table discussing how the episode's going to be cut, and you have Plummer, Pacino in the middle, and Baker Hall between. When are you ever going to have three guys on screen together in a single frame? It's just never going to happen again. It's so fucking good. You got Debbie Mazar, who I feel is a little bit underutilized, but she's she serves her purpose really well. She's yep. really good in it. I wish. Who's the, do you have the name of the actress that played his wife? Uh, it's Diane Verona. She's because oh. she's also in Heat. She is in Heat. Yeah, that's right. Oh, she's so fucking good, man. Yeah. She really sells that. Yeah, what a cast. Yeah, I mean, when when if when and if we ever get around to ranking Michael Mann, it's gonna be really. Oh, hard I can't wait for I can't that. Can't wait. That's. It's going to be really hard for that to not be in the top three. That's going to be like, like, because the insider hits me here and yeah. the heat gets me fucking here, man. Oh, yeah. I'm just fucking like, bring it on, heat. Yeah. Cool. So there we do. We want to run down our Mount Rushmore's again. I'll take the lead. I've got LA Confidential, The Insider, Gladiator, Master and Commander. And I've got 310 to Yuma, Gladiator, Master and Commander, and Insider. And I have LA, LA Confidential, Gladiator, A Beautiful Mind, and The Insider. Those are all solid Mount Rushmore's. I think, yeah. I think, was all of our fifth. A C- Cinderella man? I believe so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a fucking such a hard cut. It really yeah. is. That's that. It pains me to cut that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So now I think we've come to the point where we answer the question. I think we've pretty much already answered, but oh. we'll make it official. Uh. Hey, Josh. Do you think that Gladiator should be in the book? Yes. Ian, do you think that Gladiator should be in the book? An unreserved yes. Yes. And I do too. Uh. Uh. <laughs> there you go. Um. We could have asked the question at the beginning, like we did last week with Goodfellas, but. It's it's just it's iconic. The performances are great. It's every, like production wise, score, everything. It, it's this movie is is good. Uh, so there you go. So there we go. Uh, we all think that Gladiator should be in the book, but of course, as always, we want to know what you think. So you could find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know what you think of Gladiator or Ridley Scott or Russell Crowe. We talked a lot about all three of those things. So. Let us know what you think. Um, you can support the show at patreon.com slash 1001 by one. You can find us on Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, all those great places and more. Um, Josh, thank you so much for taking some time and discussing this fucking epic film. We, we, the episode may almost be as long as the movie. So. We, we are at <laughs> we are at the final fight. We, we got pretty close. Um, and uh, please stay tuned. Uh, next week, we, we are wrapping up our decade by decade celebration of film with a movie that I really 
know nothing about. I'm uh, really excited. Besides to go into this one. that, it's a documentary, so it feels like it feels like Gladiator was the bang we should have gone out on, but it wouldn't have been true to what we were doing. So we are going to come back to you next week with a documentary that came out in 2010 with some fresh takes because it'll be new to us. But until then, I am Adam and I am Ian, and we will see you next week. <laughs>